I firmly believe that creating art and folk art, which I call the people's art by ordinary people, which has the capacity to affect the spirit. And I, I, I really feel that work is spirit driven. When you create a piece that has touched the heart, spirit, and soul of the person that's looking at it, it no longer belongs to you. It no longer belongs to the maker. It belongs to the public at large. That was quilter and curator, Dr. Carolyn Maslumi. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced by the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Carolyn Maslumi creates quilts that tell stories of the African-American community and its history, from Billie Holiday and jazz to the march from Selma to Montgomery. Dr. Maslumi uses needle and thread to show the extraordinary diversity and spirit within the African-American community. Quilts aren't her first love. Oddly enough, airplanes are. And Carolyn Maslumi has a Ph.D. in aerospace engineering to prove it. But once she discovered quilting, she embraced it wholeheartedly. Her work has been exhibited in galleries around the country. Dr. Maslumi also curates exhibits of African-American quilts. And she's written many books about the art form as well, including the influential Spirits of the Cloth. And as if that isn't enough, Carolyn Maslumi is the founder of the Women of Color Quilters Network, an organization created to protect the quilters and their quilts. She's an artist with a mission who shines her light on the art form of quilt making and its reflection of the African-American community. It's little wonder that Carolyn Maslumi was named the 2014 Bess Lomax Hawes National Heritage Fellow for advocacy in the folk and traditional arts. I sat down with Carolyn when she came to Washington, D.C. to receive her award. Here's our conversation. First, again, congratulations. Thank you. Can you tell me about your upbringing? Where were you raised? What was your childhood like? I was born in Baton Rouge and a very simple childhood. I was a very quiet person and very much the bookworm and concentrated more on my studies and reading and not so much extracurricular activities, but just a good student. And always I loved books and reading. Were there quilts in your life when you were a kid? Not really. I had my grandmother who had a quilt on her bed, and I don't know who made that quilt. That was my only recollection of a quilt. So I can say, really, I didn't grow up with quilts. Nevertheless, I, I have come to love them. You loved airplanes. Yes, I do. Can you talk about what it is about planes that inflamed your imagination? First of all, the mechanics and the design. I think it's just the greatest invention of all time to have a machine in flight. And I've always been fascinated from a child with airplanes, always. And from a young child, I knew one day I would learn to fly. I knew one day I would be somehow involved in doing something with airplanes. And just so happened I married a, an aircraft engineer as well. And we both 
have that in common, our family and airplanes. You have a PhD in airspace engineering. Yes, and I came along at an era when getting an education for me, it, it didn't cost that much, and these opportunities presented themselves to get advanced degrees and through scholarship, and I didn't have to pay, so of course I took advantage of that. I've always said I've had many careers, I've had many interests, and I continue to have many interests. So along with the airplanes, I became interested in quilt making. I became interested in quilt history, and that continues to this day. Do you remember when you first became interested in quilting? Was there a particular quilt that you saw? Yes. I became really interested in learning how to quilt after I saw a quilt at the International Trade Market in Dallas, Texas. I, at that time, owned a gift shop and went there to buy uh, merchandise for my store. And it was a time when the Appalachian cooperatives had first started selling their quilts wholesale to the trade. And I was walking by a dealer's showroom and I saw this traditional American patchwork quilt. It was patchwork in the middle and it had an eagle in each corner, an applique eagle. And it just stopped me in my tracks. And I think that's the lure of quilting and quilts. That quilt just called me and just said, okay, touch me, feel me. (laughs) And we we as quilt makers know we're not supposed to touch the quilts, but we're the worst offenders. It's something about the cloth and our connection as human beings to the cloth. This is something we're swathed in from birth. It's the last thing that touches our body in death. So we have a lifelong love affair with the cloth. You can't get away from it, you can't deny it. So seeing that quilt started this journey. Did you go out and buy quilting material and get to work? I was living in Los Angeles at the time and I, I left Dallas and I came back home with a determination to learn how to quilt and Unfortunately, I could not find any classes at the time, so I just got a a how-to book, and I taught myself. How were those early quilts? Terrible. (laughs) My first quilt was a simple nine-patch quilt, and I had this how-to book, and I wanted my quilt to be an authentic American quilt. I wanted cotton batting, and I couldn't find any cotton batting at the time. I could only find the poly bat, which was really popular back in the 70s. So I went to the drugstore and got the first aid cotton. For those people that are my age and older, over 65, they'll remember the Red Cross cotton in the box and you get a little pad of cotton about maybe four by four inches and I got boxes of that and I kept running out of it and I would have to return to the pharmacy to get more of these boxes of first aid cotton and finally one day the pharmacist stopped me in the store after I don't know how many trips to get this cotton and he told me, 
Dr. Mazzalumi, I hate to interfere in your personal life, but I have to say, whoever in your home is sick, I think you should get them to the hospital right away. So that was my first experience making a quilt, and then I really didn't follow the directions and pre-wash everything, and I washed it after my little kids got it dirty and dried it in the dryer, and the middle of the quilt stands up like a, an egg. And it looks quite three-dimensional. You were ahead of your time. I'm, hey, <laughs> you know. So now I just pay my kids not to show anybody that quilt, you know. But I'd like to think I've improved a little bit. But it sounds like the passion you had for quilting was there, right? The right passion, at the first one. Anybody involved in quilting, I guess in any hobby, it becomes an all-consuming entity, you know. It's like breathing. It's inseparable. What's your process for making quilts? Well, I keep diaries of my thoughts and my dreams, and I refer back to those diaries when I get ready to design a quilt. I can see it in my head. The quilt design depends on the story I'm trying to tell. And I work on more than one project at a time, several actually at a time. And I will draw the piece out first, draw the images. Each individual quilt determines the process. So it can be either applique, painted, or stenciled. And I work exclusively in black and white now. I started out making black and white quilts, so I dabbled in other designs and whatnot. However, I find that I don't like using a lot of colors in my quilts. I love black and white. I like the drama of it. I like the simplicity of it. Those two colors become a part of my story. I look at life. Everything is black and white. Everything. Everything for me is pretty much cut and dry with the story that I'm trying to tell. And then the work reminds me of leno cuts, and I collect leno cuts, so I'm happy doing the black and white. You mentioned telling a story, and that brings me to your writings about African-American quilting. You've written that there is a great diversity of quilts in the African-American community, but there really seems to be a focus or a lot written about one, and that's the improvisational quilt. Yes. Within the African-American quilt community, you find a variety of quilts. We're not just relegated to making improvisational quilts. I, I'm very happy to receive the Heritage Award and come here and talk a little bit about those quilts because Prior to this time, I noticed that most of the honorees in the quilt section, you know, they've been traditional quilters leaning towards improvisation. That does not describe the depth of what can be found in the quilt community, in the national African-American quilt community. Improvisation is just one type of quilt, and when you 
survey all of the quilts within the community, you find that that's just a tiny percentage. It's less than 1% this improvisational quilting. Can you explain what that is? Improvisational quilting means to make a quilt without benefit of a pattern or a design. It's freehand cut. And you think that there's really an overemphasis on the improvisational quilts that African-Americans create. Definitely. The variety of quilts found within the African-American community are just as varied as we are people. You can find art quilts, traditional quilts, folk art quilts, as well as improvisational quilts. You can find narrative quilts, abstract quilts. Everything you would find in the white quilt community, you can find in the African-American community. The only thing that sort of separates it is the spirit, the spirit in which it's done. The spirit makes the difference. The colors make the difference. The story makes the difference. I collect and specialize in narrative quilts. And we own our story. No one can tell our story like we can tell our story. That sets us apart. Because it's a unique story to African-American culture, African-American history. You also curate exhibitions of quilts, and you curated one that opened very recently. What's the name of it? And Still We Rise, Race, Culture, and Visual Conversations. It's a traveling exhibit, and it traces 400 years of African-American history from 1619 to present day. And what I did for this show was to create a timeline of events that were unique to African-American history, that impacted our history in some way as to inflict a major change. And it's an extraordinary exhibit of narrative quilts. Carolyn, why this exhibit? Why and Still We Rise, focusing on African-American history. It's easy, I feel, to learn about history through visual arts as opposed to reading. Statistics show that most Americans don't necessarily get their historical information from reading. So I thought it would be an easy fix to put this visual survey, historical survey together to talk about African-American history and events that have impacted us and created the exhibit also to let people from outside of African-American culture know about the contributions to American culture by black people and what are some of the trials and tribulations that black people have gone through that have shaped our lives. And hopefully the exhibition can start a conversation as well about race relations in this country. I want to just stop you right there, Carolyn, because I really would like you to address the ability of art to start those conversations, to not just instruct, people, but to move them. I firmly believe that 
creating art and folk art, which I call the people's art by ordinary people, which has the capacity to affect the spirit. And I, I, I really feel that work is spirit driven. When you create a piece that has touched the heart, spirit, and soul of the person that's looking at it, it no longer belongs to you. It no longer belongs to the maker. It belongs to the public at large. It's a teaching tool. That's what the quilts are in And Still We Rise. Each one is a powerful tool to impact the viewer in such a way as to make them stop and think. How do you organize that exhibition? Are you doing it by period, by concept? How did you approach it? The exhibition is divided according to the era in our country's history. There's one section that is devoted strictly to the civil rights movement. Powerful quilts. During the time the show was up at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, I would sometimes just go and sit and watch people walk through that show to see their reactions to the piece. And sometimes I would go and speak with them, especially young people, because so many of them, so many young African Americans don't know their history. They don't. And it's eye-opening when I talk about the quilts and tell them the stories. And many of them just don't know. And they just don't understand. And I'm with them in that particular section. And I, I, I explain the quilts. And I, I ask them a simple question. Would you put your life on the line for freedom? Can you do that? I believe it was Maya Angelou that once said, every young African-American has been paid for. It's such a true statement. They've been paid for by the struggles of so many people that have come before that have enabled me to get an education and be who I am today and, and my children. It's a powerful gift that the freedom workers, freedom marchers have given to young African-American people. And they can see that in that timeline in this exhibit. And to me as a curator and as an artist, it's important that the exhibition has something important to say that's of value to humanity. It's important to make a statement to educate people, to make them think. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you tend to work in a series and you do a series? Definitely. Most definitely. I'm doing a series now about disadvantaged children around the world. I just finished a piece about Syrian children that are working, picking potatoes on farms. They've been displaced. Their families displaced. 
their circumstances are dire and anything that concerns children and women concern me. Every other quilt I make deals with the status of women, the most important human beings on the planet. They have the most important job as first teachers of their children. It's the most influential position on the planet because we influence every human being on the planet. Women, women. Our job is not easy, but it's the most important and sometimes the most overlooked. No argument here. <laughs> you founded in 1985 the Women of Color Quilters Network. Yes. Tell me about that. What, what was lacking? I founded the Women of Color Quilters Network in order to educate African-American quilt makers not only about the cultural significance and the history of quilt making, but also to educate them about the monetary value of the quilts because I saw at that time in my travels quilts in art galleries and the galleries were asking enormous sums for the quilts and the quilters were just giving them away because they had no monetary value attached to them. And that's not fair. So if you're going to sell your work, you need to know what the work is worth so that you can get a fair price for your work. At the time I started out, we had cooperatives popping up all over the United States of quilt makers. So you had many women making their living making quilts. So to me, it's important that you know what the quilts are worth. How many members are in the network? We are 1,700, approximately 1,700. You sometimes represent women when collectors are calling and they're looking for quilts. Yes, I have um, many times sold quilts on behalf of network members or facilitated sales on behalf of network members. I charge nothing for that. And in I, fact, all the money you make, you put into the network. Yes. After 30 years of trying to get a grant. We just got a grant from the NEA to <laughs> $30,000 grant from the NEA to do the catalog for And Still We Rise. Like many grassroots organizations, money is very difficult to come by. And I, in the last 30 years, have, with one other network member, underwritten all of the cost for the network. I write the books, I publish the books, I underwrite the exhibitions. We've had nine major touring exhibitions and I've underwritten all of them over the years. And for me, I feel that's my mission, to carve out a piece of American quilt history for African-American quilts. That's important. It's important for me to know that African-American quilts have a presence in American quilt history and it is documented as such. 
It's important to me. It's important to my children, their children. We are a part of history, and that should be duly noted. You quilt, you write, and you curate exhibitions, and that's a lot of balls to be juggling. Definitely. Curating an African-American-made quilt show is difficult. Finding the quilts and asking people if they would agree to loan me those quilts for two or three years while these quilts are traveling, it's difficult because they didn't make the quilts with that in mind. And they made the quilts for their family or friends or church. They weren't thinking about a museum show. So that's a whole education all unto itself. And it is ongoing. You've written extensively about quilt making and probably Spirits of the Cloth is one of the best known. That was a very influential book. Can you talk about that book? Well, it was the first book ever written on African-American quilts that encompassed all styles, contemporary art, traditional, and improvisational. So it broke ground in that way. Since that time, I've written several books, and actually the books served as catalogs to touring exhibits on many topics, jazz, women's history, African-American history. So that documentation is important. We have to document what we do. I don't curate any show without writing a book. But Spirits of the Cloth was the first, and it laid the groundwork for what was to come. And this summer, you were in South Africa? I curated an exhibit, co-curated with Dr. Marsha McDowell, an exhibit that opened in Johannesburg. I did not go for health reasons. I couldn't go, but 80 network members did go. And that was one of the dreams of the founding members of the Women of Color Quilters Network, to do a quilt show in Africa and travel to Africa. So we've gotten that off our bucket list. And uh, the show celebrated the life of Nelson Mandela. Half of the quilts, 40, came from the United States and half came from South Africa. I curated the half that came from the United States and Dr. McDowell curated the South African portion. And it was just filled with spectacular works of of art to celebrate a great man's life, spectacular works. You were given the best Lomax Hawes Fellowship? Yes. It's exciting to be recognized for doing something that I so love. But in receiving this award, it also calls attention to the art of the African-American quilt maker. That's even bigger for me, calling attention to the art form. So for me, the award is really For every African-American quilt maker that has ever put needle to thread to create a quilt, it's about them. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me your time and many congratulations for work so well done. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That was 2014 Bess Lomax Hawes National Heritage Fellow 
quilter and curator, Dr. Carolyn Meslumi. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. Mama, shame.